Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings to all of you. A very good morning. Welcome to Center Street Church on this Thanksgiving weekend. I want to say hello to all those watching from different venues here at Central Campus, as well as those tuning into our live broadcast online. So glad you can join us today. Well, aren't we grateful to God for this beautiful Thanksgiving weekend? God has been so good to us. This past Wednesday, I had to say goodbye to my wife and two boys as they took off on an airplane to India. And I won't get to see them for the next five weeks. I tell you, I really don't like being alone. After being married for seven and a half years, I have forgotten how to have fun all by myself. <laughs> so I spoke to my family on the phone, and they said that they're already missing me, and that's a good sign, and I'm missing them all the more. You know, holidays look very different when you don't have family around. As I was reflecting on this, I identify with so many people here in Calgary who don't have any family. They're all alone, nowhere to go, nobody to visit even on a special day like Thanksgiving. So one of the best ways for us to express generosity is by inviting someone over for your Thanksgiving meal. A generous family from our church has invited me to join them for their Thanksgiving dinner. So that saves me from the disastrous ordeal of cooking my own turkey, because I know how it will turn out. <laughs> At least the one in that picture looks edible. I don't think mine would be. In fact, mine would be more like the next picture. <laughs> the turkey will become a fire hazard. Well, just in case you burn your bird this Thanksgiving, and I hope such an awful thing doesn't happen to you, but in case it does, you can still be thankful for the following reasons. Salmonella won't be a concern. No one will overeat, and you don't have to worry about those extra pounds. Uninvited guests will think twice next year. Pets won't pester you for scraps. The smoke alarm was due for a test. Carving the bird will be a good cardiovascular workout. After dinner, the guys can take the bird to the yard and play football. <laughs> you will get to the desserts quicker. The children will love it. And lastly, you won't have to live with three weeks of turkey sandwiches. <laughs> Before I continue with my message today, there are two things I want you to keep in mind. Firstly, Thanksgiving is not just a day in the Bible. It is a life that we are called to live. So thanksgiving is a lifestyle. The second thing to keep in mind as we are in this series on generosity is to know that there is a clear connection between thanksgiving and generosity. Generous people have grateful hearts. In fact, generosity flows out of a heart of gratitude. So unless we learn the art of thanksgiving, we will never be able to live the life of generosity that God has in mind for us. So keeping these two things in mind, let's proceed with today's message. In looking at the history of Thanksgiving, I came across this statement. On Thursday, January 31st, 1957, the Parliament of Canada proclaimed 
a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed to be observed on the second Monday in October. So on Thanksgiving, it is common for us to acknowledge all the blessings that we have received from God. The things that God has done in our life, we acknowledge them and we say, thank you, Lord. So a typical Thanksgiving would be, God has blessed me, kept us in good health, helped us buy a house or a car. We have a job, we have a family. Thank you, Lord. Now, it's quite legitimate to give thanks to God for all these things because we acknowledge God is the source of all blessings and every good gift comes from Him. But what if you had a difficult year, a rough season, a year in which things just didn't go your way? Maybe you suffered a tragedy. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you're battling a health crisis, a job loss, relationship challenges. Will those diminish our thanksgiving to God? Or can we truly celebrate thanksgiving from all of our heart, no matter how our year has been? You know, anyone can be thankful in good times. But it's the challenging times, the dark times of our life that really test our faith. So how can we celebrate Thanksgiving meaningfully when it appears we have very little to be thankful for? That's what I want to talk to you today. Whether you had a fantastic year filled with blessings or it has been a year marked with suffering, sorrow, and grief, we can truly give thanks from the bottom of our heart. And I know some of you are not there yet. And I want you to know that I have been interceding for you and I believe from the depth of my heart that God wants to speak to you today. A few years ago in the United States, a young man went on a shooting spree. Now, shootings have become so common in the U.S. that we don't even raise our eyebrows when we hear about one. But this one was quite unique. The killer was a 24-year-old young man named Matthew Murray, son of a prominent medical professional, and was raised in a deeply religious Christian home. The young man opened fire at a youth with a mission training center where he was a former student himself training to be a missionary. He went from there to a mega church called New Life Church. The service had just finished and people were walking into the parking lot. The young man arrived there with two handguns, an assault rifle, and over 1,000 rounds of ammunition. And he started shooting at random at people in the foyer of the church building until one of the security guards in the church managed to shoot him and he was wounded and later on he killed himself with his own shotgun. Now, everyone wondered what was behind this senseless tragedy, a murder that would happen in a church building like this. And what was interesting was when police found a letter in his car a letter addressed to God. And in this letter, he poured out his frustration and confusion over his faith, not being able to reconcile what he believed and what he experienced in life. Among number of honest questions that were raised in that letter, here are some that stand out. I didn't even ask to be born, Jesus. Where are you? Do you even care these days? 
Why didn't you ever answer my cries for help? Why do I have to be hurt by so many Christians? I've heard good things about what Jesus can do, yet everywhere I go in Christianity, all the Christians I see or meet are miserable, angry, selfish, hypocritical, proud, power-hungry, abusive, uncaring, confused, lustful, greedy, unsure of their doctrine and mean-spirited. Am I too lost to be saved? My soul cries for deliverance. I am dying, praying, bleeding, and screaming. Will I be denied? I want to be free from this lifelong pain. Why didn't any changes occur or any love or help come when I accepted you as Lord and Savior? These are startling questions spoken with brutal honesty. And I tell you, my heart just goes out for this young man and the kind of mental framework he must have been in. But about 2,600 years ago, there was a man in Judah who had very similar questions. Those questions that haunted 24-year-old Matthew Murray haunted this Old Testament character. The sin in the lives of God's people. Confusion as to where was God when all these bad things were happening. Why was God silent in the face of such atrocities? But this Old Testament prophet voiced his complaints to God. God gave him a response. And that response calmed all his fears, removed all his doubts. And he was a completely transformed individual. While this prophet and young Matthew Murray wrestled with the same questions, they came to completely different conclusions, and that made all the difference. The prophet I'm referring to is none other than Habakkuk. And the book of Habakkuk, if you read it, is an extended dialogue between the prophet and God. We're going to look at the closing verses in the book of Habakkuk for today's devotion. And you will see that these are one of the greatest affirmations of faith that you will see in the entire Bible. May I ask us to stand as we read from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fail, and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Shall we pause for a word of prayer? Father, we want the truth of your word to evoke a response of worship in us. For you alone are worthy of our praise and worship. So teach us, Lord, to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And every day we will be able to wake up and worship you for who you are and the relationship that we have with you. And today we pray, Lord, if there's anything that would hinder our attitude of worship and thanksgiving, you would completely remove that.
through the power of your word, the power of your spirit. We pray that, Lord, you would do a miracle in our hearts, that our lives will be completely transformed, like Habakkuk, that we will break forth into celebration and praise, even in the midst of darkness. So we ask that you will come and minister to us in the freedom and the power of your spirit. For we ask this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Prophet Habakkuk complained to God about the evil and injustice prevailing in Judah. There was violence, corruption, idol worship, and no fear of God. Habakkuk was tired of seeing sin in the lives of God's people. As the prophet voiced his complaint to God, God responds by saying, I know the indifference in the lives of my people. I know their hearts are far from me. So I'm going to send the Babylonian army to invade Judah, and thus my people will learn a lesson. And this was not a response that Habakkuk ever expected. That God would judge his children using a heartless, cold-blooded, barbaric people. Now, if you have to understand this, you've got to imagine the situation. Let's say you're praying for Calgary. You're praying because there's such sin in our city. And you're praying that God would intervene and put an end to all of that. He will show his power. And God responds to you by saying, I am preparing ISIS, that violent Islamic terrorist group, to come and destroy Calgary so my people will learn a lesson. That's the kind of effect Habakkuk had when he heard about the Babylonian invasion. And Habakkuk says to God, this just doesn't make sense. How can a people group more wicked than us be used to bring punishment into our lives? So Habakkuk pours his complaint out to God. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my God post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And God indeed gave a response to Habakkuk's complaint. He reassured him of justice, that the Babylonians would be punished for their brutality. See, God may seem silent and uninvolved in our world, but he always has a plan to deal with evil, and his justice will prevail eventually. The prophet's doubts were silenced. He knew that a dark season was approaching. It was fearful to even contemplate all of the consequences of that. But Habakkuk broke into celebration, thanksgiving, and praise, knowing that God was in control. Now that you have the context, I want to share with you three truths that will help you to celebrate Thanksgiving meaningfully, no matter what circumstances you're going through in your life. When you grasp these truths, Thanksgiving will not just be a day in your calendar. It will become a lifestyle. The first truth is this. Our unknown future is in the hands of a God we know. 
the only way for us to give thanks in the midst of all circumstances is by having the right perspective. Look at verse 16 of our passage. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. You see here that Habakkuk came face to face with the grim reality of what is to come. It just hit him hard. He had just received a glimpse of the future from God. He didn't have all of the details, but it was sufficient to give him a cold sweat. And Habakkuk is not a super saint who can handle all of these issues coolly, all the adversities that are going to come upon him. But this is an ordinary man like you and me, and he is facing an anxiety attack. If Habakkuk lived in our time, he would Google anxiety attack symptoms and go through the list. Surge of overwhelming panic, check. Heart palpitations, check. Feeling like you're going to pass out, check. Trouble breathing or choking sensation, check. Heart flashes or chills, check. Trembling or shaking, check. Nausea or stomach cramps, check. Dr. Google confirms it is indeed a panic attack. And that realization causes even more panic. <laughs> and all of this is because of a frightful prospect of a bleak future. When you cannot see any further because it is so dim and dark out there. Have you been there before? When you feel all hope is lost and everything looks desolate and confusing. That's where Habakkuk was. A brutal army was about to ransack his people. What will happen to them? Where will they go for shelter? How are they going to survive this disaster? When Habakkuk looked around, he saw signs of an impending war. When Habakkuk looked inside, he was confronted by his own fears. But by faith, Habakkuk looked up. And he saw this vision of God who is seated on the throne, exalted, reigning over this whole universe. And it is that vision that puts everything in perspective. The beginning of chapter 3, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk looked at history, looked at the events of the past, and he was absolutely stunned and amazed to see the mighty hand of God at work in history. And Habakkuk is saying here, Lord, I have seen your deeds. I've heard about your fame. Do it, Lord, in our day, in our time. We want to see your power at work. You brought us out of Egypt, out of the iron hand of Pharaoh. Now give us the strength to face the fierce Babylonians. When you think your future is bleak, take time to look back. Look back at your life to see the hand of God. The events where God came through so powerfully, so significantly. And that will give you strength to face the future. Thanksgiving is looking back. It's sweeping through your memory 
and looking for the activity of God. It's reliving those moments from the past and seeing God at work once again. In my own life, when I go through those low moments, I often take time to look at my past. I search and sweep through my memory for those incidents I know where God came through. When I knew unmistakably, without a shadow of a doubt, it was the hand of God that came through in my life. And that gives me strength to face the future that I cannot see. When you know God personally, when you know his character, you know that he is faithful and you can count on him at all times. For our future may be unknown to us, but it is not unknown to God. And that is a great reason to give thanks. Secondly, we rejoice in the blesser, not just the blessings. We rejoice in the blesser, not just the blessings. Look at verses 17 and 18 in our passage. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the wines, though the olive crop fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. If you look at the origin of thanksgiving, it's about giving thanks to God for the harvest. So thanksgiving is a day set apart a celebration, a party in recognition of the successful harvest. But the danger in all of this is the blessings can take the center stage and we forget the source. But Habakkuk is talking here about throwing a Thanksgiving party even when the harvest has failed. In fact, one needs to understand the original context in order to get the full implications of these verses. In an agricultural society, this is the worst possible thing that could happen. It was catastrophic, a complete breakdown of the economy. Habakkuk lists all of the sources of commerce during those times. Fig trees, grapevines, field produce, sheep, and cattle. They're going to lose everything. So this is bankruptcy. But in the very next verse, we see a stunning contrast as a result of Habakkuk's faith. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. From devastation and loss to a jubilant joy that almost seems ridiculous. And the reason for this is because of a revelation that Habakkuk had received. You know what is a revelation? A revelation is a truth that has become personal. It's when the Holy Spirit takes a statement of truth and plants it right in your heart. It just comes alive. Because when that happens, that truth statement is no longer cerebral. It has been internalized. It is no longer just a head knowledge. It is now a conviction of the heart. And Habakkuk receives such a revelation. That in the midst of these horrendous circumstances, he's called to live by faith. As simple as that, that simple revelation gave him the strength to face what he was about to face. 
Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous will live by their faith or their faithfulness to God. And this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. The underlying mark of the righteous, that which sets us apart from everybody else, is our faith and our faithfulness to God at all times. Habakkuk understood its meaning. And he chose to trust in God no matter what. Faith calls us to live by the unseen promises of God. Because if you can see it, it doesn't qualify as faith. You know, how often we place our identity, our worth, and our security on the things that we see. Like our bank account, the status of our health, our good looks. But faith is essentially about the unseen. The things that are not visible to the natural eye. Therefore, by faith, Habakkuk resolved in his heart that he was going to rejoice in the Lord. The word used there for joy literally means spinning like a top. It contains the suggestion of dancing or just leaping for joy. The closest I saw this in action was this summer when I volunteered in our children's ministry. It was a long weekend and there was a shortage of volunteers, so I decided to go there and help out. I was in my four-year-old son's class where they sang this crazy song with dance moves and the song got stuck in my head for a few weeks. The lyrics of the song go like this. We have kids in our service today. You know this song very well. I'm feeling good, good, good in a crazy way. God's love changed me more than I can say. Can't keep this in. Gotta let it out. Gonna tell the whole world that your love is spinning me round and round. Yeah, it's turning me upside down. I can't believe the way he loved me more than I can contain. I'm going to turn around and give, 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 give it away. And I tell you, it was quite a sight to watch four-year-olds spinning and doing cartwheels because God loved them. You know, when that simple truth, God loves you, hits you, it results in an outrageous joy beyond expression of human words, a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Have you experienced this kind of a joy before? Where does this joy come from? Not from your next vacation. Not from the new house or a car that we buy. The Holy Spirit produces this joy in our heart. It is a divine joy. And that is why we rejoice in the blesser, not the blessings. The blessings are great, but we don't chase after them. Our eyes and our hearts are fixated on the blesser. He is our treasure. He is the reason for our thanksgiving. So we don't go after the blessings. We seek the source of all blessings. And this is the third and final truth. God has not promised blue skies always. But he has promised strength for the day. 
is a beautiful old hymn with these very words written by a lady familiar with suffering. God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. It is so important we understand what God has promised us so we can claim them. God has not promised a trouble-free, sickness-free, stress-free, easy, cozy life. He has not promised a life without toil, temptation, pain, and woes. He has not promised a life without burden and care, sorrow, and calamity. And just because we are Christians, we are not shielded from the hard knocks of life. But this is what he promises us. This is what we can count on. His strength, his unfailing presence, his grace in the midst of our trials. He has promised us boundless compassion and unconditional love. He has promised to be with us even till the end of the age. That's a promise you can count on. It was Corey ten Boom who wrote, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until he's all you have. And sometimes the fig trees have to stop budding. The olive crops have to fail. The fields have to stop producing fruit in order for us to recognize this truth. When we come to that point in life when Christ is all we have, we will realize he's more than enough. And we, like Habakkuk, can declare with that confidence, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments, this entire chapter is set to music and is supposed to be sung as a song. The sovereign Lord is my strength. The word used there for strength literally means an army. The Babylonian army may be ruthless and fierce, but God was Habakkuk's army. And I tell you, God's army is stronger than all the armies of the world put together. And Habakkuk says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He takes me to the heights. A deer is known for its sure-footedness in the mountain. The deer does not have to carefully watch its steps. It has no fear of stumbling and falling, but it leaps with confidence because of a stable and secure feet. That's what God is promising here. Notice, every valley experience in life is a preparation ground for what God is about to do next. And when we are in the valley, 
God promises that he will take us to the heights by his strength. You know, how many times we pray, God, just get me through this day. If only you will just get me through this situation. Just help me through this marriage. Help me to endure this health crisis. That is a prayer for survival. Oh, but God has so much more in store for you than survival. He doesn't just want you to survive. He wants you to thrive. In fact, the very reason he allowed that valley experience is so that he can hold your hand and take you to the heights. So it is fine for us to leave that survival mode and receive the victory that Jesus has in mind for us. The heights, they symbolize a higher plane of living. It's living above our circumstances in communion with God. It's a Christ-centered life. It's the deeper life. And when you realize that God himself is your strength, that realization brings a sense of confidence that you have never experienced, that enables you to walk even in the dark. It brings steadiness even when everything around you seems to be unstable. It gives you an unshakable promise that you can hold on to even when the world around you is crumbling. As we stand on the heights like the Apostle Paul, we can boldly declare, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The strength is not just for you to stand firm or to cope, but to march and progress with confidence. To walk deeper with God. To live a generous life. Not just being preoccupied by our own selfish needs, but meeting the needs of others. It's a victorious Christian life that testifies to the gospel of grace. That's living on the heights. And the pathway to the heights from the valley, the way to get there from the bottom over there to the top, is through thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Because every time you worship in the valley, you have taken one step onto higher ground. You know, Satan brings all these trials and temptations into our life. And the one intention in all of this is to take us farther away from God. But God uses those very trials and temptations to draw us closer to his heart. And that's how Satan's purposes are being thwarted. Can you imagine what Satan can do at the face of such an unshakable faith, a resolve from the heart to worship God no matter what circumstances we're facing in life. I'm going to close now with a powerful song of worship. One of the best worship songs written during one of the most turbulent times our 21st century has seen. Songwriter Matt Redman composed the song, Blessed Be Your Name, right after the 9-11 attacks in the United States. The entire nation was shaken. But through this tragedy, church attendance started to grow. And God became the subject of conversation. And this powerful worship song was birthed during this time. I'm going to ask all of us to stand up as we sing this closing song. I told you in the beginning of my message 
that I have interceded for you. For those of you who are going through the valley, going through those dark seasons of life, and you're here today, and you're saying to yourself, how can I worship God? How can I give thanks? And my heart is breaking. I pray that God will just speak to you during this time as we close with this song. That you will hear the still small voice of God. That he will fill you with his joy and with his strength. And after the song, I'll come back and close us in prayer. This is our corporate thanksgiving as a church to acknowledge to God all the blessings that we have received from Him. But as we maintain this attitude of worship, I want to pray for some of you here. Because I know that you're still going through that battle in your heart, still wrestling inside. And you need a touch of joy because you're heartbroken. And you need a, a fresh infusion of strength because you feel so weary and weak and tired. May I ask you to just raise your hands like this in anticipation, believing that God is going to meet you right now and do a miracle right now by filling you with joy, with His glorious and awesome power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead. Shall we cry out to God? Father, from the depth of our heart, we want to say, blessed be your name, for there is no God like you. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, the promises of God on which we can anchor our life, that hold on to you, O oh God, your unfailing presence, that you have never left us. You have never forsaken us. In the most difficult moments of our life, when we feel emptied of all joy, emptied of all strength, we come to you in brokenness. Lord, stretch forth your nail-pierced hand right now. Through this audience, oh God, I pray, dear God, for every hand that is reached out to you, oh Lord, will receive a miracle, a miracle of joy, joy produced by your spirit, not based on circumstances, joy unspeakable and full of glory will just flood through this place. Pour out the oil of joy, Lord, in this place. And I pray for the ones who feel so weary. Lord, let your strength abound. The power of God that is at work be evident in our midst today. The very power that you used to raise Jesus from the dead. Let that power flow. The power of your spirit flow in this place. And I pray, oh God, those who are walking in the valley, that you will hold their hands and just walk with them every step of the way until you take them to the heights. That you will lift them up, oh God. That today will be a day they will mark in their calendar. They will know that you have met with them. Reassured us of your love. That we will leave this place having all the burdens being lifted up. Because we have laid it at the foot of the cross. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, God bless you all. There are prayer partners available who will be
Happy to pray with you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.